0: Live from the Mecca of Mormonism, Salt Lake City, Utah, this is Heart of the Matter, where Mormonism meets biblical Christianity face to face. I'm your host, Sean McCraney. Thanks for tuning in. Take a look. Stay tuned, look for that. We've got a lot of stuff lined up and we're gonna give you more details as we draw closer to the launch date, March 1st, when we hit the air 24-7 in the Intermountain West to begin with. You know, I say it every week, we thank the true and living God for allowing us to be part of this, his program. May he be with you and us tonight. And I mean that. I I really don't care too awfully much for what uh, men think, um, but I place immense value. I hope our viewers know I place a great deal of value on what God says on all things. I don't take him or his word flippantly and spend most of my waking hours uh, trying to ingest and digest and, and interpret and integrate contextually what his word says. In many ways, because I grew up LDS, I have not been indoctrinated with, with what I believe is ugly uh, Christianese and uh, culture, and many of my Christian brothers and sisters consider this a handicap in ministry and in my knowledge or perspective of scripture, but I disagree. Before we get uh, to our topic tonight, I'm gonna begin the evening um, together by defending myself. This past week, I've had a number of disgrace book uh, things forwarded to me of people who are being increasingly critical of my person and theological positions. Additionally, a Christian pastor here in Utah decided it was his right to decry my person and ministry publicly this past week. And uh, I'm really not defending myself. I guess I put that wrong. I find the assassinations kind of fanciful and, and humorous. They do sting sometimes but I am defending this ministry and those who support it. Uh, The first criticism leveled at me is that I am a contrarian for contrarianism's sake, Uh, meaning I swim against the grain and whichever way it's blowing, that's the way I'm going to go against it. More specifically, they're saying that I've grown tired of Mormonism because it's old hat, so I'm gonna go after Christianity now. I would prefer to describe my methods as flowing from a relentless drive to understand God in spirit and in truth. And nothing less is going to do in my case. Whatever gets in the way of this obstacle is subject to scrutiny as far as I'm concerned. And there are no sacred cows, none. Uh, Along these lines is the accusation that when uh, they kicked me off of local airwaves, I became unmoored. Uh, Actually, I've never been moored. Uh, uh, I was unmoored well before they took me off the air. I think I've never been moored anywhere, to tell you the truth, except in in Christ, so there. The second main criticism we're hearing is coming from people who say I'm a hypocrite because they watch old shows. They go back into our archives three, five, seven years ago, and they look at old shows when we were on television here locally, and they say I maintain certain positions on those shows, which today I am discounting, and they say, God forbid, he's changed his mind. Uh, Let me offer what I believe is a reasonable explanation for this. First of all, as mentioned before, I kinda grew up in my Christian faith on television. Uh, For the seven years, I essentially I defended things like the Trinity and eternal hell and and stuff like that because that is what I had been taught. And I believed it coming out of Mormonism that these, the Christian perspectives that I had heard were all true. That was my mistake again. But as in the case with anyone who's a seeker of truth, when greater light shines on a subject, uh, I'm going to try to reveal and support the new and improved view over the old. In other words, I refuse to patronize former inferior positions simply because they worked for me in the past or because they are standard fare. Uh, If they're not truth, they gotta go. So some, I'm sorry, wimps on this disgrace book suggest that this is a failure, it's a personal failure. If you're not standing on the rock of Gibraltar of every single theological premise and you stood on that premise five years ago and suddenly you've changed your mind, well, you're an inferior soul. And I think that it's a sign of of, of maturity. And uh, I think it's a sign of cowardice when someone refuses to change in spite of the facts. That's the foundation upon which all false religions are built. Tradition takes precedence over new uh, facts and under new light. Hopefully this approach will reaffirm the fact that I've never suggested anybody ever follow me. Uh, Don't do it, but listen and take the things that that we suggest and challenge them and find out for yourself. So uh, you know you don't wanna follow men and that leads me to the final criticism which has been tossed at me this week and it's a favorite from the minds of, of weak men. It's built on the idiocy of there being safety in numbers and that popular opinion rules and that individuals in the Christian church must be governed by other men. What am I talking about? It's this constant uh, cacophonous uh, din bemoaning the fact that Sean McCraney is not um, accountable to anybody. Nothing could be further from the truth. Nothing. I am completely accountable to God. Uh, But that doesn't seem to be enough in this day and age of Christianese. Uh, not for controlling fearful men. They are of the opinion that I need to answer to a human committee or a board of elders or a congregation so that we can take theological premises, premises and have them decide on what should be taught and what shouldn't. Biblically, I find this idea is supported in one specific area, financial stewardship. It's known as stewardship throughout scripture. Financial stewardship over goods and money. Now, as a result of this, this ministry has a couple uh, who serve like you can't believe in many areas, but that includes the area of our finances. Derek and Danita, and uh, they on, run all of our financial accounts. They make all the deposits. I've never made a deposit, and they reconcile every expenditure. I I have to justify every expense to them. Derek will ask me for where did I, how did I spend. Uh, four cents at Home Depot. Where's the receipt? I mean, every cent. Uh, he's maniacal on this stuff. And, and I don't have any signing capability on any of our financial uh, stuff. No bank account, can I go in and sign? And so uh, that is overseen. That I can understand being accountable for. But again, this biblically supported practice, not enough for the whiners. They want me to answer to a board of men for what I think. And what I say and how I look. Uh, All my life, I have had men who have wanted me to be accountable to them in areas like this. Uh, What many present day Christian critics don't realize is you know, had I been compliant in the past to these uh, suggestions, I'd still be LDS. And uh, it was my refusal to please men that allowed me to look outside the LDS box and see the light that set me free from its lies. For some strange reason, my Christian brothers and sisters think that when you come to find Jesus and have a relationship with him, that you ought to have changed your heart and you should be completely compliant to other men, actually the opposite effect occurred. When he became the king of my life, uh, it made me more resistant to men and their fearful, controlling, religious, fleshly ways. So this drives petty, fearful people stark, raving mad. What makes it most frustrating is they actually think that it is a sign of holiness to go before a panel of men and say, what think ye? that I should say or do. And that God says, oh, very good about that. That's the way to turn your mind in to the group think. Let me tell you something, had I made myself accountable to men, we never would have written and printed uh, Born Again Mormon so many years ago. Uh, We never would have Heart of the Matter. If we did, it would be a show where I would be in a suit and tie sitting on a uh, on a, a, a pleather chair behind wood paneling, and talking in soft tones. That's what Heart of the Matter would have been. And uh, had I listened to men, campus, let me tell you what would happen with the church that we established. We would have instituted tithing and we would have d- demanded that people follow these financial rules to give us money. And then we would have building drives and we would make bigger churches and we would have billboards on the I-15 all paid for by the people. And there would be a pressure to keep the Sunday messages really current and moving and hip so that more people would fill the seats so that more money would come in. That is exactly what happens uh, when men get involved in our control. Look around. And ask yourselves, what have these accountability groups, these elders boards, what have they actually done and accomplished in Christian churches today? I, I am sure if you look at the mega Christian churches, all of them have governing boards, every one of them. And what have they accomplished? Like elevator music, they have done nothing but ensure that mindless traditions are adhered to, that budgets get bigger and bigger, and that pastors that they control push materialism and politics that they want pushed out to their people. Uh, Was the pastor who attacked me for not having a board of elders responsible to his board when he attacked me publicly and unbiblically this past week? If he was responsible to them, they failed, so why have them? And if he is not responsible to them, why have them? It doesn't make any sense. So in my opinion, the church today with their boards and their elders have done nothing but create businesses because that's what men do. We wanna make things more like successful businesses. Looking over the biblical account, we have to be astounded at the accountability group that John the Baptist answered to, don't we? I mean, think of all those men that he went and he talked to to make sure he was doing things right. And of yeah, Paul, when he was called on the road to Damascus, remember how he immediately ran to Jerusalem and conferred with all the other apostles to get their approval of his calling? I'm being facetious. Uh, Did you know that in Wittenberg, there's this giant statue in their parks of Martin Luther with his whole committee as they went up to Wittenberg and they nailed the 95 thesis to the door? Remember that committee and that that council of men that helped Martin Luther do that? The word accountability is not even in the Bible, not in the Greek at all, the New Testament. It's a man-made corporate construct, and when taken seriously, it produces things like cheese spread, elevator music, strip malls, and the Trinity. Imagine if Sir Branson, Richard Branson, had gone before the innumerable men who said, do not build Virgin Atlantic, don't do it, you're gonna fail, British Airways is gonna crush you, and they did that if he had listened to them. He told them, take a hike, we're gonna do it. Nobody was behind the guy, but he alone knew what he should be doing and he did it. Not to Imagine if William Wilberforce, remember that guy? He, imagine if he listened to everybody who said, don't fight slavery, let slavery be. God was behind slavery. Instead, he didn't listen, he went forward. Imagine if Jesus had listened to the Sanhedrin who said, you need to listen to our ways. Imagine if he'd listened to his apostles, Peter's advice to him. He's constantly saying, Peter, shut up. You're giving me the wrong advice here, don't you get it? Imagine if Jesus had listened to his counsel of men. What is the purpose of having the Holy Spirit indwelling in each of us? If all we do is take it and say, I'm gonna subject it to what men think. Why do we have it? If God in us, if we believe that, and I do, if he's in us, why should we go to men and say, please tell me what I should do? In all the parks and towns and cities, there are no statues of committees. I'm not trying to be a statue or a hero, but that's a premise upon which you can stand. So sitting behind their keyboards and standing behind their pulpits, our critics grow, condemning me for thinking on my own, for refusing to subject the spirit of God within me to the will and ways and wiles of fleshly men without me. And in the end, what dastardly things have happened as a result in this ministry of us doing what we think we should, of me saying, I think this is what we should do. We have an operating studio with a very low overhead that serves our local church wonderfully. We've never had to cave in and preach tithing or pass a plate or say we have a building budget ever in operation. We've seen thousands of people come to a saving knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ, many of whom have abandoned Mormonism in spite of myself and my idiocy. We've published four books and give 80 to 90% of them away for free to people, all because men would have given us a business model. They always do. You gotta sell these things. You gotta, we've never done that. We have over 400 hours of television programming seen all over the world every day. The local pastors and elder boards, when we came to this town, did everything they could to stop us from ever getting on the air. We do all we can to promote freedom and faith and love and devotion to the King at every turn. We're about to launch a 24/7 television studio that will teach sound Christian teachings without charging the presenters a cent. That's not been done in Christian television before. All the result of listening to God, who is the one I am accountable to. I can't take a board with me when I die and I stand before God and say, well, you know, I know your Holy Spirit told me to do this, but my elders board said differently. Frickin' wimps. And with that, the defense rests. Uh, Let's have a moment from the Word.
1: And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. One of the four beasts sang, come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse.
0: Segwaying all I just said, let's actually read the word and see what it says about the counsels of men. Yes, we have the all familiar, constantly used, out of context verse. Proverbs 27:17: iron sharpeneth iron so a man sharpeneth the countenance of his friend." It's a tremendous verse, it's so true. When we sit with a friend, and our countenances, that means our mind really in the Hebrew, is sharpened by our dialogue and our discussion, that's what it means. Friends working in unison and making perspectives sharp. I have friends and I engage readily with them over concepts, but more often than not, this, use is, uh, this verse is used by men to say we need to be accountable to each other. In fact, if we take all the verses that resist and suggest that we resist listening to men, and the strength of horses and chariots. We take all of those and we weigh them against those verses that say, it's good to have people that you confide in. These outweigh them by a thousand to one. Go all the way back to Isaiah 24, uh, 29, 14. God says, therefore, behold, I will proceed to do a marvelous work among this people, even a marvelous work and a wonder, for the wisdom of their wise men shall perish and the understanding of their prudent men shall be hid. The Psalmist wrote 118.6, the Lord is on my side, I will not fear. What can man do to me? Proverbs 29.25 says, the fear of man brings a snare, but whoso puts his trust in the Lord shall be safe. Remember the influence that the religious men had on the poor Jews in Jesus' day? In John 7.13, we read, Howbeit, no man spake openly of him, Jesus, for fear of the Jews. That's called that, that sway that men have on our lives. Speaking of Jesus, our Lord King, and his example, it says that in the presence of his teachings, it says they were astonished at his doctrine. Why? He taught them as one that had authority and not as the scribes. He didn't, he didn't sit there and think, what is gonna please people? What the, the scribes only taught what they could exactly teach. He taught as one having authority and he taught his apostles to do the same. Go out there with the Holy Spirit in you and teach what you know. Think about it, who is our judge? Listen to what Paul said in 1 Corinthians 2, 4. And my speech, speaking of himself, and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom, but in demonstration of the spirit and of power, the dunamis in the Greek. Both of those, the spirit and the power are from on high, not from men, not from their wisdom. Why would any believer who possesses the Holy Spirit, who loves the word of God, spend a minute of their life making theological decisions based on popular consensus? I have absolutely no idea how that happens. Listen to 2 Corinthians 4.2. Talking about the apostles have renounced the things of dishonesty, not walking in craftiness, nor handling the word of God deceitfully, but by manifestation of the truth, commending ourselves to what? To every man's conscience in the sight of God. And so every man hears with their conscience what they hear by the Holy Spirit and move forward and act accordingly. There is not this law that we put upon people, it's through their conscience. At the end of 1 Corinthians 3, Paul writes, beginning at verse 18, "'Let no man deceive himself. "'If any man among you seemeth to be wise in this world, "'let him become a fool, that he may be wise. "'For the wisdom of this world is foolishness with God, "'for it is written, "'He takes the wise in their own craftiness.'" And again, the Lord knows the thoughts of the wise, that they are vain, listen. Therefore, let no man glory in men, for all things are yours, he writes to believers. Whether Paul or Apollos or Cephas or the world or life or death or things present or things to come, all are yours. And you are Christ, and Christ is God's. That's the order right there. If you're Christ, what do you? Everything is there, it's yours. Then he goes on in the next verse, chapter four, first three or four verses, and this is what it says. It's a continuation of the thought. Let a man so account of us as of ministers of Christ and stewards of the ministry of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. That's all it says. That's the steward, to be found faithful, of faith. But listen to what Paul adds here. But with me, it's a very small thing that I should be judged of you, or of a man's judgment. Yea, I judge not mine own self, for I know nothing by myself, yet am I not hereby justified? Listen, but he that judges me is the Lord. It's beautiful stuff. First Corinthians one twenty-four says, but unto them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Because the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For you see your calling, brethren, how that not many wise men after the flesh, not many mighty, not many noble are called. But God has chosen, hmm, the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to confound the things that are mighty and the base things of the world and the things which are despised has God chosen yea and things which are not to bring to naught things that are. Why? That no flesh should glory in his presence. And with that, let's have a word of prayer. Father God, seek you and need you. Pray your spirit to be with us and those who are watching on the internet, through uh, YouTube, through the archives, through the NRB National Network, whatever it is, Lord, we pray that uh, you will be with all of us here in the studio audience as well and our volunteers. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to embark on our first topic of examining the faulty premises of Mormonism and the faulty premises of Christianity. And we're gonna begin, as I illustrated last week on the whiteboard, with the topic of God. General Christianity as a whole, generally speaking, influenced by Roman Catholicism and its creedal devotions, mindlessly endorses a man-made term to describe God nowhere found in scripture, Trinity. In direct response to the incomprehensibility of this term, Joseph Smith created a fiction about God by conjuring up a story known as the first vision, which over time morphed into this grand myth that says he saw God in a body, the Father, in a body of flesh and bone as tangible as man's. And that they were separate and distinct, the Father, the Son, and Holy Spirit, even polytheistically speaking, separate gods. Travel back with me for a moment, if you will, to 1815. Go with me to upstate New York in your minds. Go with me to the town of Palmyra, walk by the barber shop, the barber salon, through the marketplace. Go stand in the crowd as at a pulpit, standing on a stump, is a fiery preacher. And he's preaching a sermon that's echoing through the woods and concentrate deeper now. Let's step inside the home of this nine-year-old boy named Joseph Smith. The, the, the sermon is being delivered not far from where he lives. Far back as he can remember, he has been surrounded by religious tension, especially between his parents whom he loved. His mother appears to be semi-obsessed with religion and organized religion and belonging to the true church, and has even apparently suffered from severe mental breakdowns over the topic. Joseph's father, a man young Joseph adored and relates to, he's rebellious, he's contentious, He does not believe in organized religion, and he is wholeheartedly certain that a reformation has to take place that is gonna bring Christianity back to its original state, a a reformation, a restoration. And he believes and has passed on to his young son that this restoration is gonna occur through the Joseph Smith Sr.'s family. So there we stand right next to this nine-year-old Joseph Smith Jr with all that's going on in his head from his family background, as this Protestant preacher bellows from atop a tree stump. What are we hearing in this minister's description of God? Well, my friends, he says, I'm just gonna recite the creed to our faith. This is what we believe, he shouts, as he reads the Athanasian Creed, and this is what it says. See if you can make sense of it, okay? The preacher reads, whosoever, and the spelling is correct, will be saved before all things it is necessary that he hold the Catholic faith, which faith except everyone do keep whole and undefiled, without doubt he shall perish everlastingly. And the Catholic faith is this, that we worship one God in trinity and trinity in unity, neither confounding the persons nor dividing the substance. For there is one person of the Father, another of the Son, another of the Holy Ghost. But the Godhead of the Father, of the Son, of the Holy Ghost is all one, the glory equal, the majesty co-eternal, such as the Father's is, such as the Son, and such as the Holy Ghost, the Father uncreate, the Son uncreate, and the Holy Ghost uncreate, the Father eternal, the Son eternal, the Holy Ghost eternal, and yet they are not three eternal, "'but one eternal,' as also there are three incomprehensibles," nor three uncreated, "'but one uncreated, and one incomprehensible.' "'So likewise, the Father is Almighty, "'the Son Almighty, the Holy Ghost Almighty, "'and yet they are not three Almighties, but one Almighty.' "'So the Father is God, and the Son is God, "'and the Holy Ghost is God, "'and yet they are not three gods, but one God. "'So likewise the Father is Lord, "'the Son is Lord, the Holy Ghost is Lord, "'and yet not three lords but one Lord.'" For like us, we are compelled by the Christian verity to acknowledge every person by himself to be God and Lord. So we are forbidden by the Catholic religion to say, there be three gods or three lords. The Father is made of none, neither created nor begotten. The, let me repeat that. The Father is made of none, neither created nor begotten. The Son is of the Father alone, not made nor created, but begotten. The Holy Ghost is of the Father and the uh, is of the Father and of the Son, neither made nor created nor begotten, but proceeding. So there is one Father, not three fathers, one Son, not three sons, one Holy Ghost, not three Holy Ghosts. And in this Trinity, none is afore or after another, none is greater or less than another, but the whole three persons are co-eternal together and co-equal, so that in all things, as is foresaid, the unity in Trinity and the Trinity in unity is to be worshiped. He, therefore, that will be saved must thus think of the Trinity. Furthermore, it is necessary to everlasting salvation that he also believe rightly the incarnation of the Lord Jesus Christ, for that right faith is that we believe and confess that our Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, is God and man, God of the substance of the Father, begotten before the worlds, the man of the substance of his mother, born in the world, perfect God and perfect man of a reasonable soul and human flesh subsisting, equal to the Father as touching his Godhead, and inferior to the Father as touching his manhood, who, although he be God and man, yet he is not two, but one Christ. One, not by conversion of the Godhead into flesh, but by taking of the manhood into God one altogether, not by confusion of substance, but by the unity of person. For as the reasonable soul and flesh is one man, so God and man is one Christ, who suffered for the salvation, descended into hell, rose again the third day from the dead, he ascended into heaven, he sitteth on the right hand of the Father, God Almighty, from whence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead, at whose coming all men shall rise again with their bodies and shall give account of their good works, and they that have done good shall go into everlasting life, life everlasting, and they that have done evil into everlasting fire. This is the Catholic faith, which except a man believe faithfully, he cannot be saved. Glory be to the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Ghost, as it was in the beginning, is now, and shall ever be, world without end. Amen. And because it came from a preacher over the pulpit, and because it contains a lot of acceptable truths with just enough, incomprehensible mystery you and I and millions of other Christians billions possibly have cheered amen brother praise be to Jesus I mean the Father I mean the Holy (laughs) Little Joseph who possessing an uncanny ability to discern baloney because he was full of it himself and having a working knowledge of the Bible that he obtained at a very young age from his parents and adding in the angst that he felt from the division in his own home, he probably wandered home and said to himself, I wonder if I can describe God in a more clear and concise manner. And in time and with growing imagination and chutzpah, he does. And Mormonism was born. Now the historical record of Joseph Smith's descriptions of God and the gold plates are proven fictional, Uh, mythical, absolutely, and this is without question, but what about the historical record of this tradition most Christians today readily embrace that we call the Trinity? Where did it come from? Is it any more reliable than Smith's first vision concoctions? Certainly, Trinity smacks much closer to the biblical truth of God, but It's the product of tradition and philosophies of man, which it is why so many believers today readily and mindlessly embrace it and don't understand it. They do not understand what the constructs of Trinity is. We're going to open up next week's program with a shocking history of the origins of this Christian creed. Once we have exposed it for the garbage that it is, We'll compare it to the fiction Smith provided and then try to articulate a simple, easy to understand, biblical description of God. Let's open up the phone lines, 801-590-8413, 801-590-8413, we have two callers. We have John from Tulsa, Oklahoma on line two. John, you're on Heart of the Matter.
1: Okay, let me turn the TV down right now. Here we go. All righty, John. Nice to talk with you, John. Man, you're right on what you've been saying tonight. Uh, I understand that. uh, I don't know if you got my uh, email that I sent to you about uh, the fact that, that, you know, you've taken on the evangelist and the Mormon church. And... uh, you know that uh, they'll probably be just exactly like they did the, the twelve apostles. That they'd delivered up into the synagogues and beat them, and uh, we we're going to kill them. But they decided the people would overrun them over that, so they just them back to the prison and, they in, and they're out again the next day, and their people's up there preaching to them and uh, healing people. Now they had twelve Jesus on their hands. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh... they didn't know what to do. They were going crazy. And finally, one guy stood and said "Look, look let's just leave them alone. If this is of God." Uh, it, it, what do you better do? Can't yeah. fight it. But, you know, if you kill them and all this stuff, you know, you're bringing condemnation on yourself and the people, you know. So it, they just quit. They just decided they couldn't fight it anymore. But anyway, eventually they did kill him, and uh, uh, that was the testimony of 12 men. And to me, I mean, anybody that says you can't believe in Jesus right out of the Bible they don't know what they're talking about because those men gave their lives, all 12 of them except for John, who was banished the island of patent. And, uh, anyway, I'm not going to preach a sermon tonight, but, uh, that was, that's that why I called. And basically it says, uh, to admire you, to what you've done, uh, to stand up and tell the truth. And you're just a few miles down the street from the temple in Salt Lake City and being a 40-year Mormon. You know what the outcome of that's going to be. Yeah. Uh, what they said is going to be. You're a son of perdition, according to Mormon doctrine. Right. And, uh. If the laws were changed differently, you probably would
0: be dead right now. You know? Yeah, O'Brigham would have had me a long time ago.
1: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. But anyway, just wanted to call in and say I support you, and, and I hear you. Thanks, like John. You stand up for his convictions. Love you, brother. Love you, too. Man.
0: God All bless. Right. Bye-bye. We're going to Jeff in Hagaman, New York. Jeff, you're on Heart of the Matter. Jeff. Yes. You're on the air. Oh, I'm on the air. You are.
2: Okay, I was just looking on the computer and there's a delay, so I didn't didn't realize that. How you doing, Sean? I'm doing well, how are you? Good, thank you. Uh, I, I really admire your show and what you've been doing. I, I am a born-again Christian, so I, I don't have any anything to do with the LDS, but uh, I've learned things from you. I'm, I'm kind of like yourself, whereas you know, it's taken a, a number of years, you know, I was at a Pentecostal church with my sister. How was that? In the beginning, and it, 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 it just didn't feel right, you know what I mean? Yeah. And uh, what I'm leading towards is, where are you now with eternal security?
0: You know, I am, I am uh, that's a really good question when you think of it. Uh, I, I, I think, especially in light of everything we've been talking about last year, I believe that believers are eternally secure, but I, I, I am convinced that uh, God is a, a gentleman, and freedom is paramount to Him. And if, for some reason—I don't know how this would happen—I'm not even saying it does happen—but if, for some reason, somebody wanted to walk away from Him, I believe He would allow it. I, I and and. Right. So I realize I could be wrong in applying the passages in Hebrews and other passages.
2: Right, 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 but exactly. There, there's many passages and it's like the mystery thing. You know? Yeah. There's, there's many things that look like it's in support of it and, and some that don't, right, of, of course. Yeah,
0: but I don't believe somebody, Jeff, can lose their salvation because they have fallen into sin.
2: Right, right. Yeah. Could, could I give you a point? And i've never heard this from anyone and i'm not and i'm not uh patting myself on the back it just came to me one time yeah you know based on going to my sister's church who was a, and she's a, it's a fine christian woman yeah she's she's done tremendous service and she's a she's tremendous and nothing against her but just going to their the church and how they sometimes you know, uh, you hear the devil thing here and there. You know the Satan and this and that and that and this and you know uh, Mark of the Beast and, and 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 that's all in the Bible and it's it's it all has merit. Yeah. So this came to me one time that a, a, a pastor, this wasn't Pentecostal, that I was going to. He had said that that Satan doesn't have an an uh, an, an original bone in his body. He copies like what the Lord would do so if there is a part where Satan in 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 the end you know not the end times and in, in Revelation you know like the rapture and all that kind of stuff is whatever but uh, where where Satan takes you take the mark of the beast and it's permanent and they say you've heard you've read that right? yeah yeah it's, per, it's permanent so if, if if you take the mark of the beast from Satan and it's permanent i just can't under i can't believe that god would make oh. or we take his mark and it isn't permanent oh that's you know what a,
0: that's a good point
2: it's uh, something to consider and, and think about it you know and like i say i i i've learned things from you that, that i don't hear in and i and i and i've been i'm the same as you like joel Osteen, and you know uh the purpose-driven churches it's just fluff it's just it's just it's just nothing yeah and uh you know when you talked about your model church i don't know if it's a year a few few years ago it, it's tremendous it's stuff you don't hear all the time well praise you know, god man what churches are made for they're not made for the unsaved they're made for the saved to equip themselves to yeah. go out into the world not that i'm i'm even doing those things like i should right but it, it's refreshing to hear it and, and you've been saying that and it's a blessing
0: hey thanks my brother good to hear a uh, guy from new york jeff
2: Thank you. You're, you're the best. Take
0: care. Talk to you later. Bye-bye. Bye. Jeff, that was not you, Jeff. It was Jeff in New York. Uh, we're going to John in San Antonio, Texas. John, you're on Heart of the Matter.
3: Hey, Sean. I, uh, I have a question. I have two questions for you. Yeah. Um, the first one is, you know, I, I learned about you a few months back and have been going through all your old shows, and there's clearly been a change in your attitude towards the Trinity from your earlier shows and I'm wondering if you could take just a minute and talk a little bit about what went into your change in your perspective on the Trinity because you know you spent a lot of time defending uh, many of the different metaphors even that you kind of um, stood back from last week in terms of the flames and stuff like that yeah and I'm interested in what went into your thought process
0: hey John that's a great question Uh, First and foremost, I support the Trinity in many ways. Uh, and, and, And in fact, if we go back to those old shows and we look at how I described, in my opinion, how we could understand the Trinity, that before Jesus came to earth, God was only God. There was no father, no son. He is a consuming fire. And then I did that illustration on the show where I had some of the fire come down and I put it under glass. The father is now, God now became the Father because now he has a son, and that's the fire under the glass, and that the, the son went back into the Father, and when that flame reunited with the Father, there's no difference. And so, but that's not a Trinitarian concept. I thought that was a Trinitarian concept when I taught it. And, and I still believe that that illustration, that Jesus, I mean, simply put, we're jumping way ahead here, but the solution really is there's one God and Jesus is God in the flesh, and and the Holy Spirit is God by by the power, and that's it, it's God. You look at Jesus, you're looking at God in the flesh. You look at the Holy Spirit works, that's God in the Spirit working. That's one God, but the Trinity doesn't teach that. And next week we're gonna get, and we're gonna show and tease apart what Trinity really is, and and, and, and people are astounded when they hear the nuance of what the Trinity is. And Sir Isaac Newton questioning it when it comes to the co- co-equality between the members. There is no, there's not a co-equality. The Trinity, the, the Augustinian uh, a creed, it contradicts itself actually. Saying that God is not, the Father is not begotten, but the Son is begotten of the Father, but yet they're co-equal. And we have all kinds of difficulty with it. Additionally, John, what led me to, to criticize it is I've always wondered, who do I like best? Father, Son, or Holy Spirit? I mean, Jesus, yay! Holy Spirit, kind of a little mystery guy. And when I started to think, how do I have favorites? That's the very criticism I was throwing at Mormonism for having a henotheistic view of God and polytheism, who's their favorite God. Well, I had to ask myself the same thing, and that's what launched me on the path, John.
3: Okay. That's, I, I will be very eagerly seeing uh, where you go with it. One of the unique things about stepping away from the authoritarian paradigm of the church is that um, you know they have a lot of comforting answers to a lot of the metaphysical questions that we have. They do. And once you realize that those things were the product of somebody's imagination, then you kind of get what can be troubling at times, but can also be enjoyable to try to find truth in the world where it exists. And and I acknowledge that, you know, that can sometimes be a messy thing. And so
0: well said. Uh, no matter but... what
3: you do, you just keep looking for, you know, the light where you can find it. So Thanks, I'll be interested John. to see your perspective on it. The next question yeah. is, um, did you hear the news today about the legal action being taken in England where there was a summons delivered to the church headquarters today about the... Um, President Thomas Month and being brought to charges of fraud
0: yeah, I, I heard about it, and uh, Wendy, she sent me the articles and stuff, and I, l- I talked to Derek about it too. The only reason I d- I'm not covering it is because you can really sue anybody and and charges they can be trumped up, and, and so I, I, I think it 's really an interesting human interest story, but I, uh, I kind of find it uh, a non-event in some ways, John. The second thing is, part of the critique against Monson being a fraud, if this is a true story, and I've heard it is and I've heard it's not, but if it's really a case, part of it is him proving things, you cannot prove a negative. And so it's it's an impossible lawsuit. So I just thought of not giving it any attention because I don't think it's gonna go
3: anywhere. Okay, well, if you read the allegations, they're not saying that it's a fraud based on metaphysical things that you can't prove Oh, what they're talking about they identified seven specific things that are in the realm of objective provable things such as the translation of the uh, book of abraham you know we have the facsimiles they have hieroglyphics we can translate those hieroglyphics and so um, you know that that's something that is outside of the realm of metaphysics and inside the realm of reality and there's other things that deal with things that can be proven. So that's
0: where what about it the seventh, takes
3: that turn. What about the seventh point,
0: John, which I glanced at the seven points, and it was the, the claim that the Earth is 6,000 years old. And that's part of the accusation of fraud. I mean, how are they going to prove that? That's been, that's been Old Earth and New Earth has been disputed by everybody from every which way. I mean, throwing that in there is the thing that made me say, I'm not going to even touch this because I don't think it's going to go anywhere.
3: Well, no, the 6,000-year the earth paradigm is basically what they're saying is that that is one of the claims that the church has made yeah. to, to convince people of um, their, no, their possession of truth. Okay. And they should, there is enough objective evidence in the world to know that that is a false claim. And I think that um, the, the thing that clenches all of this is that in Mormon soteriology, you have to pay tithing. In order to obtain the highest degree of glory, yeah. if tithing was simply a matter of giving as your heart was directed, then there was no, there would be no in, inducement or incitement to um, to pay annual tithes that was based on these notions of truth. Huh. But if they can show some aspect of the things that they've taught being factually and objectively proven to be false, mm-hmm. and have it be tied to their members having to give annual tithes, then under English law, and this is a relatively new law from 2006, that will qualify as fraud. And there, there's one guy that's observed that since 2005, Thomas S. Monson has refrained from actually using the words of bearing testimony of the truthfulness of the Book of Mormon and aspects of these things. And some people are speculating that the reason that he stopped doing that is because they understood that this law came into being in 2006, and um, have the potential for a lawsuit. But that is highly speculative.
0: Hey, John, will you do me a favor? Yeah. I want to give you an assignment, if you'll take it, out there in Texas. You take this on and follow it, if it continues to grow and do the homework, and then each week we'll have you call in and give us a three-minute summary of what's happened.
3: All right, sounds good, I'll do it.
0: All right, it's a deal. Uh, uh okay. stay on the phone and we want to give you some special instruction on how to make sure we get, you get through. All right, well then. I'm gonna call, we're gonna call you John from Texas? Yeah, that's fine. Okay, thanks so much, hold on. Oh, this will be cool. Hold on one second, if I can find the hold button on this gizmo. All right, uh, let's go to line... Three? Crap shoot. How roll? You're on Heart of the Matter.
4: Hello, Hello This is uh, Dave. How you doing, Dave? Good. How are you doing? Doing well. Uh, yeah. Well, I'm over here in Pocatello, right in the belly of the beast.
0: <laughs> How's it
4: going? Well, I'm I'm doing good. I'm doing good.
0: So what's up? You're on the air.
4: Yeah. Uh, well, I just wanted to talk to you a little bit. We we kind of communicated a little bit back and forth, sent you an email, and then. You kind of gave me a call, and then I, I just have kind of missed you, you know, uh, calling back and forth.
0: Oh, this is Dave the Hunter Man.
4: Uh, you know, well, it, you know what? I can go into a lot of different stuff, but here's the big deal. Um, I come from a, a family. We, yes, we're Catholic. I mean, don't make the face. <laughs> no face. So, but, any, but anyway, uh, and but, you know, my dad raised us. Uh, we're, we're Christians. I mean, we, I believe in uh, Jesus Christ. He is uh, he's my Savior, and, and that's it. And, and he is awesome. God, God is Jesus. I mean, that's, that's the way it is, plain and simple. Praise God. And, uh, and you know, the big deal was uh, he passed away about a year ago. And then we got hit pretty hard because, you know, I lost my mother-in-law, my father-in-law, and my father with all in one year. And uh, it was pretty, pretty rough on the family. Wow. And uh, anyway, I, uh, uh, we got to the funeral, the Catholic funeral. My sister they're LDS. She's converted. Okay. So, uh, we get up there and then it, it, you know, with everybody being sad and everybody in that state of mind, you know, you just lost your loved one. And my dad and I were really close. We were best friends, did everything together. Um, he, uh, uh very devout Christian. I mean, he, uh, he was an iron worker. He fell off a building a hundred feet, and my belly flopped into a river and uh like he said the river was only three foot deep if he wouldn't have belly flopped he would have died they told him and so he said the man upstairs was looking after him that's all he told us kids us boys you know the man upstairs was looking after him and uh it's true you know and a very god-fearing man um but uh anyway we so we get to the funeral and uh the next thing i know it turns into an lds Turns into like almost an LDS gathering. Even though that most of the people there were Catholic, my sister somehow weaseled her way in. And uh, (laughs) the father even started talking about my Mormon brothers and sisters and how good they are. And, you know, and I just couldn't believe it. I, I don't even know what to say. I just wanted to bring that up to you because it just. Blew my mind. Um, I didn't. I wasn't raised here. I actually grew up uh, in the Midwest, and then I lived in Texas, and then I moved here about twenty-five years ago.
0: Yeah.
4: I never really thought of uh, Mormons or what they were. I thought they drove a buggy and they wore a Quaker hat. I, I had no idea what they were.
0: <laughs> those are the those so, are the Mormons on the moon back Yeah,
4: yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. And so I, uh, I, uh, uh, I, I was, I was just. I don't know i don't know if it's just me but my wife and me and my kids we look at them kind of like they're aliens
0: yeah well you know, I what? Don't
4: know why i don't know why i can't get this out of my head i can't believe i can't believe everything that they've actually put us through yeah. i've done very well for myself for what i do you know i, I do a, i have a tv show and i do my own thing but it just blows my mind
0: well listen man uh you know there's a great line, we are the prey and culture is the predator. And the, the, the LDS culture, and this is what people just don't understand, is while it is sweet and it is, it is typically very kind, it is relentless. And they want their way or the highway and they press. So they'll come to a Catholic funeral, they'll come to a bar if they have enough of them and they'll take it over. And, and, and that's just their way. And so it's probably weighing heavy on your mind because you were kind of helpless. You're there at your dad's thing. And, and, and it, you were just overwhelmed with this religious culture. And I'm sorry yeah. to hear it, my brother.
4: Yeah, I'll tell you what, it, 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 we were, I was very overwhelmed. And, and by the time I, I you know, could gather my thoughts and, and, and really see what hit me, it was, it was too late. I mean, it was, it was over and done with. And then to top it off, when they were putting my dad under the ground, um, my brother-in-law, who so happens to be this so-called priest or whatever he is.
0: Dedicated the grave. Uh,
4: yeah, he oh. dedicated it and, and I oh. was, I mean, we were all looking at each other because there was literally hundreds of people there. So do we you, were all just staring at each other. Like we couldn't believe what was going on. So I Dave, didn't know what to do so because Dave, I was in grief.
0: So Dave, do you feel guilty for allowing that to occur at your dad's funeral?
4: You know, I do. I do. I, I really do. I mean, I dedicated my first TV show to my father on, uh, you know, I'm on satellite TV. So I, I dedicated that to my dad. And, and, uh, I just felt like it was something I needed to do. And, uh, it was just, uh, uh, it was a rough deal. It was yeah. really a rough deal. And I'm sure if my sister was to see me on here, she'd probably disown me, but I, I don't care.
1: I'm not, I'm not here
4: for my sister. I'm not here for anybody. I'm here for, um, to, you know, to serve the Lord. I'm here to, uh, take care of my family. I'm here to be the best man that I can be because that's, God gave me the tools that I have to communicate with people in what I do. So listen, uh, Dave, I I, I thank God every day.
0: Hey, you being a good Catholic boy that you are who loves the Lord, I mean, you're gonna put it behind you, you're gonna forgive them, you're gonna love them, and uh, you know, it it has none effect. Your dad, he was probably laughing his head off at the whole proceeding.
4: I'm quite sure because, you know, he, he he was a good old Texas boy. So he used to tell me, he had no problems with telling me, um, you know, son, uh, God is the way. God God is, you know, me and your mother raised you on God, and, and God is, is your only salvation. You know, I, I don't pray to, uh, I'm not this let me tell you what, Sean, I feel closer to God when I'm out fishing or when I'm out hunting or when I'm in the mountains. I don't feel close to God in a, in a church, a temple, a building, I don't feel it. Yeah. I just don't feel it, and I don't know why. Yeah. But I can be out, and I can, or I can look at my children and watch them with their children, because I'm a grandfather now. I can watch them with their children, and I feel closer to God at that moment than I do at any other time in my life.
0: Well, those are his creations, you should. The rest of it's all made by men. We gotta run, my yeah. brother. Yeah. Thanks for watching, we'll talk again.
4: Okay, all right, Sean. Thank you, and I appreciate it, and keep up the good work, brother.
0: You too, Dave. Bye-bye. Oh, bye. Listen, Heart of the Matter Television Network, we're going to be airing Pastor Chuck Smith. We're going to be airing Les Feldick, John Corson, Dr. Arthur Fruchtenberg, maybe, if they would send us their dang CDs. Adrian Rogers, The X-Files, Have You Experienced Jesus, Campus servants Sermons, More Heart of the Matter, and a bunch of very entertaining segues between the shows, informative stuff. Keep us in prayer, it's coming along March 1st, God willing, and uh, get it off the air. Got a question uh, from somebody uh, that's one word, resurrection question mark. Answer is yes. (laughs) Um, uh, Let me just touch on this, we're we're wrapping it up tonight. Uh, This will give you some food for thought. We have had a lot of ideas that roam around that when we are resurrected, we're gonna come rising out of the grave. And you know, I've always wondered how we're gonna dig through all that dirt. And, and we have all these imageries of it being a physical resurrection. The Book of Mormon teaches that every hair of your head will be put back into place. That's one hairy head. and, uh, and, and, and There's all these thoughts about resurrection and they're really, really off. Um, Jesus resurrected from the grave physically to show he overcame death. Other Jews at that time, they rose from the grave after him. He's the first fruits from the grave. Theirs is a physical economy. He, He dealt with them in physical ways. He appeared to them. He was the Messiah who came to them physically, ascended into heaven physically. It was all a physical thing. But in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, Paul speaks of the resurrection of believers because Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. I was having this discussion with my friend this afternoon. and and that resurrection is spiritual. We we have a corruptible body now, it will become incorruptible. We have a mortal body, we will get an immortal body. So I believe, whether you believe this or not, you're gonna have to challenge it and test it, but I believe that when we die now, we receive our resurrected body. And as believers, you go and you live uh, with God. Those who are not believers, They go to the holding tank, Hades. That's not the burning place. And they wait for the second resurrection. But the first resurrection was initiated by Christ when he rose from the grave, first fruits. Others followed him at that time. And since that time, the, the first resurrection has continued to go on as people have died. In the end, whenever that is and however that works, the second resurrection comes and those who are in hell are come out, they're given, their resurrected body. they stand before judgment and they face the lake of fire, which is that, that place we've talked about ad, ad nauseum. And there uh, they experience the second death, which is what Revelation calls it. But we can talk all about that when we get to eschatology in the uh, months and weeks to come. Time, we have one minute. Uh, guy, I have a really good email here, but from Mappy from London. Mappy, I'm gonna have to read it next week. Uh, got another one here. Sean, I've called your show a few times. I appreciate your ministry and all, but I'm disappointed that you are unwilling to dialogue with Dr. James White about your assertion on Calvinism and your modified Christian universalism. I remember that you criticized Mormons for not wanting to come on your show and dialogue about their theology like LDS General Authorities. If you believe in your understanding strongly enough to publicly teach it, then why not discuss it publicly with another believer? Here's the reason. There's a major difference between having a dialogue, a Christian to a Latter-day Saint, and a Christian wanting official representatives to come on a show and, and defend their faith. My faith as a believer, I'm not at odds with another believer. I don't care if Dr. James White is a five point Calvinist and loves it. If he's a believer, I accept him as my brother. I don't care what the nuances is of our doctrine. So I'm not going to get into a war with with other believers over doctrine. I'm not gonna do it. That is the opposite of what we're told to do. We're told to love. So I'll teach what I think is right. You can criticize me. Dr. James White can get on the air and and attack me. And when he did, I'm not gonna attack back. They are my brothers and sisters in Christ. So there's a difference. And and so you you compared apples to oranges here, my friend. And I think that um, that's, not I think that's the reason why we're not gonna do it. Join us next week. We are going to give you some radical, really solid information on the history of the Trinity. And we'll go from there. We'll see you then on Heart of the Matter.